Ready? Ready. Let's get it on. Thank you very much, everyone, to join us today again. So I'm back for another podcast during quite um, tough times all over the world. But I think these days are probably the best days to, to get some other things on our minds and talk to other people and not always about the outbreak that is serious. We all know it, but life, life must go on. Um, so today I have a, a, a very special guest for me, and I will tell you a bit later why. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's been a while since I've, try, I've, I've been trying to get Ricardo to talk to me, uh, not just in this podcast, but in other things. He's is, is a, is a very special guest in, my pro, in, in this project I'm putting in. Ricardo, before I talk a little bit more, um, usually I ask people to give a quick intro, who you are, where you're coming from, so people get to know you, and then I will just take it from there. Okay. Well, hello, Hui. Hello, world, wherever you be wherever you may be listening to us, I hope you're well. Um, thank you so much for uh, inviting me to participate in, in Talk It Through. And um, I, I'm sure we're gonna generate an interesting conversation, maybe with some unexpected moments. <laughs> so my name is uh, Ricardo uh, Diniz, I'm from Portugal. And from a young age, I was traveling the world. Uh, my father is a journalist. And my mother for 20 years was a fashion designer. And so I grew up in a very creative environment of building ideas, making dreams come true and communication um, through the incredible work of, of my father um, who interviewed from Nelson Mandela to Fidel Castro. You know, I, I grew up in all of that. And so inevitably my life was going to be a little bit different <laughs> and uh, living away from Portugal for more than half of my life I generated two very important uh, structural pillars in my life and one of them was I love my country I love the people of Portugal and anything and everything to do with the Portuguese culture and the other great passion is the oceans and what I've managed to do throughout um, the years is interconnect those two passions in a way that not only serves my country, but also serves people in general, where most of what I do actually uh, is to do with cultivating human potential. Mm. So uh, I, I became a solo sailor, but actually what I also do is kind of what I really do because even my solo sailing projects are very much to do with people and teamwork and companies. And, and I love that. I'm fascinated with, with, uh, with developing people and seeing them shine in their mm -hmm. full power and potential. So I guess we're going to be talking a little bit about that too. Yes, we will. You know, I can just tell the story. I, I don't remember the year, but I, would, I think it was probably 2000, 2011, 2010. I don't remember anymore, but it was something around that time. So I was, I was sitting at home with my mom in the north of Portugal. So I'm, I'm, I, was, I was born and I was, my, my parents, they still live in the, in the, in the, in the area of um, Spazin. And was, so we were sitting over lunch. It was like summer break or something. And, I, and I, I never really do it. But that day I just switched on the TV and I was watching one of these uh, sh um, um, shows or programs that are, are just running in the afternoons. And there was something in the public channel, uh, FTP, um, and, and, you, and you popped up. And so you popped up and you were talking uh, about a project that you were about to, to execute with the, and, you, and you, you had 
you, you bought your boat. I don't know if I'm saying it right. I don't know if it's called boat, but mm-hmm. <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of big boat. And you were rebuilding it and in, in Peniche, I think, and, and you were assembling a team to get it, to get it uh, through. And then you start talking about um, some of your stories, where you came from, and, and how did you get to that, uh, to that, to that point in life, and, and why you were going to do it. And I told my mom, "Hey, this guy's cool. <laughs> I like his <laughs> mindset." And, and you were using—I don't know if, if you were using that interview flip flops, but you were kind of often talking about flip flops and using like um, some kind of a very chill mindset. And I told my mom, "I'm going to meet this guy." And so I dropped you an email right after, and I said, "Hey, look, thank you f- for what I watched." I know probably people are just writing you to compliment a lot of things you do. You know what? I would just like to talk to you. Uh, and, and it did not happen. And the story did not happen. It's just because it was a coincidence of the days and stuff like that. But I kept on following the work you do. And so when I put up this project, I said to the, my partner, no, I, I got to get Ricardo in this podcast. And she said, okay, but what is Ricardo matching what is ricardo's work matching with our mission and so our mission of sharing stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary good and usually people would connect to you know like the foundation the charities and i said i don't know what is what is extraordinary good what does that mean um and so we're talking and, and for me this means a lot of the work you do and that's why i wanted to talk because the way i see it is not just the way you you get out to the ocean alone and you do all these crazy things that you're also going to talk, but also the message. Um, and, and so I'm, I'd like to take this time to also thank you for a lot of your positive messages. And I encourage people to just go out and check some of Ricardo's uh, uh, speeches on YouTube. You're going to find a few. It's really positive, man. It's like you, you, you get people to think, not just um, to wait for something to happen, but just pursue their dreams and, capitalize their 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 potential and, and fight for what they want and that's for me the definition of extraordinary good you don't necessarily always need to be on the spotlight of a foundation to be doing good so that's why you're here thank you thank you for having me it wasn't flip-flops it was crux i use crux all the time <laughs> and i use crux on the boat and i use them on land and uh yeah, I know they're not very sexy, but they're <laughs> yes, you're right. Totally comfortable and practical. <laughs> yeah. So, Ricardo, um, to start with, where do where from from where do you get this passion of for 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 the ocean and, and to start being a sailor? So you mentioned your your father and is a very known journalist in Portugal. Your mother, fashion designer. So the most obvious is that you wouldn't get anywhere close to what you're doing now. Where did that come from? <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, in fact, I didn't have much in my favor at all to, to do what I'm doing uh, today, especially in the sailing aspect. Uh, my father doesn't even know how to swim very well. I mean, he doesn't sink, but he doesn't really swim either, you know? So, um, <laughs> but I just, if I have to say that I was lucky at something, I think I was incredibly lucky from a very early age to really, really know where my passions were. And as a typical kid growing up in Portugal, we would go to the beach all summer long. And I already noticed that my relationship with the ocean was slightly different. So when it wasn't good for surfing, my friends would not go into the ocean and they would be kind of angry that they couldn't surf. 
but I would always find a way to interact with the sea. And so I started really swimming for hours on the ocean and diving on the rocks, practicing free diving, practicing holding my breath for as long as I could. And, you know, whilst all my friends sometimes would go um, fishing and spear fishing to catch octopus and stuff, I would go with them, but not to catch an animal. Yeah. Um, so in my mind, in a way, I was already conscious of animals and nature and their and, and and their their precious lives not being less important than human life and that's why um, i'm a vegan and i don't eat animals and the only regret i have is that i should have figured it out earlier and stopped eating animals many many years ago and not just a few years ago mm -hmm. so i was always very aware of my emotions and i wasn't afraid to follow them so I just basically started exploring my, my love for the sea uh, in, in every way possible, inevitably going into bodyboarding, surfing, um, became a lifeguard, and uh, obviously had to go into boats. And uh, I was in London when I was eight. My father showed me a boat at the Greenwich Maritime Museum. And this boat was of a man who had sailed around the world alone. And I said, wow, I mean, I, I had no idea that that was even a thing, that you could take a sailing boat all those days and weeks and months on the ocean and live on board and be independent. And I just love that feeling of independence. I love that sensation of being able to live an adventure on the ocean like that. And so from the age of eight, I started working towards that goal to one day have a boat and one day become a solo sailor and sail across the oceans of the world. So whilst most people probably begin their first business in their teens or early 20s, um, I was working on, on it when I was eight. So uh, that, that's, that's very fortunate because I was able to read the biographies of other sailors, started working on boats in the summer, cleaning boats, became a very, very good boat cleaner. <laughs> that was the only way I could be on a boat was to clean them. And then slowly got invited onto some crews and started sailing and just connected all the dots uh, very efficiently and in the best way I could. And in October 1996, I was 19 years old when I started really working towards getting the funding necessary to, to achieve my goal. So I'd saved up until then. I'd, I'd paid my way through to the captain license and yacht master and all of that, sailed across the Atlantic already uh, that summer of 1996. And then after that transatlantic, I felt that this is what I want to do. I have a lot to learn but I'm not afraid to begin it now, you know, to really get onto it. So that's when Penn started hitting the paper. Um, and when I really started uh, looking for uh, a team and a boat and um, financial backers, partnerships to get me on my way. Um, and what I didn't know was that as I was writing to these companies looking for sponsorship, I was actually learning a hell of a lot about marketing, sales, communication, branding, and was accidentally creating a communication agency, um, which I then had for 14 years, um, helping people and companies communicate and achieve their goals in the same way that we were all working to help me achieve my goals. So it's been an interesting ride. Um, and, and, and I want I, I want to come back to that um, agency and this work you do, but there is few curiosities I have and those are personal. So when you go out there alone, I remember to see a few videos you, you, were, you were sharing. I think it was when you were doing the um, Portugal-Brazil one. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I must admit, I, I looked to you and I felt sorry in the sense of you look to be suffering in the, mm-hmm. like the time you had there. Um, and I, there is something I learned is that there is no, um, you, you always have to push yourself hard. And, but how do you go through those days mentally, right? I, I, like to, I want to focus on the, on the mental process and how the work you, you prepare yourself mentally to go through those challenges. Because for the people, a lot of people already know, but I'm, I'm a social scientist by education. And so for me, those things and those, those challenges that people are going, th- are going through, it kind of helps to shape the way you think and the way you kind of visualize the world and, and the things around us. So tell us, t- tell us a little bit more about those moments where you are alone in the middle of the ocean. For me, that means like really scary moments and, and, and you are exhausted. How do you go through that? Where did you build this energy and this mindset to go through that? You know, I think life is always preparing us for who we really are and what we're really meant to be doing. And so from a very early age, the things that were challenging me, sometimes hurting me, um, hurting my feelings, they were actually already giving me the tools necessary to survive whatever it was that I was going to go through later on. Let me give you an example. When my parents separated, I was four years old. It was a very peaceful separation. I didn't witness anything crazy. But, you know, my parents divorced and suddenly I'm living with my father. I didn't see my mother for many months and ended up living in London, UK, with my father. And at the time, that was very challenging and painful because I missed my mother and I missed Portugal and I missed the ocean and I missed Portuguese food, which is um, slightly better than English food. <laughs> um, and, slightly. But, you know, suddenly I'm in London and it's very cold. I've arrived in the middle of the academic year. So everybody's already friends with everybody. And then this new kid shows up and he's taller, slightly darker. He looks different, he is different, and he doesn't understand a single word of English, and he cannot even speak English. So here I was being challenged in the very basics of, I can't tell them who I am, what I do, what I love, where I'm from, I cannot speak English. And I remember that moment like it was yesterday, because it was very challenging, because these kids were obviously making fun of me, I knew, I could tell. It went on to bullying and rejection, and I wouldn't participate in anything. They wouldn't let me. And the teacher, realizing this after a few days, decided that it was better not to keep me in the classroom because I didn't understand a word, but to put me outside playing all day by myself as a way to be protected from bullying, but also as a way to hopefully slowly pick up English to the point that then I would be able to be reintegrated into the classroom. Now, if you break this down, I was being put under challenging, solitary conditions with nature to deal with myself, my time, my own company alone in nature. Now, isn't it interesting that a few years later, that's exactly what I do. I'm alone on the ocean, on a boat, being challenged by my solitude, by my own company, surrounded by nature. My first friends in the UK were the birds and the insects playing under a tree on my own. And then uh, when it was like lunchtime and when it was like a break and the children would come outside to play, I would have to hide away because I knew the guys who wanted to bully me. And then 
through something which I teach and I coach and I absolutely love, which, which I call effective communication. I had to learn how to be accepted, respected, admired, and integrated without knowing the words to communicate it. So through body language, through attitude, through behavior, through facial expressions, and slowly a few words, I started to get myself through to the point that they stopped bullying me. Suddenly I became popular. Suddenly I was actually a cool kid and people liked me and all through effective communication, which is fascinating. So all those skills that were being thrown at me or, or developed in me through challenges is absolutely the way I managed to achieve everything I've achieved so far. So when I'm alone on the ocean, yes, it's challenging. But it's not challenging because I'm alone. I'm extremely happy in my own company. I spend long periods of time on my own, um, in my van, on the boat, in nature, sitting under a tree, camping, chilling. I, I, I love my own company. I love being alone. And it's usually when I'm alone that I'm able to fully flow and come up with some good ideas and projects and whatever, you know, to, to, to connect things, to make things happen. But it is challenging on the ocean because I don't get to sleep much. I sleep 10, 15 minutes on a good moment, maybe 20 minutes. And then I wake up, check everything's okay, go back to sleep, sleep 15 minutes, wake up, check everything's okay. It's nonstop. It's brutal. The boat never stops. It doesn't stop at night. It doesn't stop during the day. It only stops when there's no wind. And yeah. when there's no wind, you're going crazy because you're trying to find wind to keep the baby going. And you need to keep, you know trimming the sails and working the boat and the angle and the navigation and studying meteorology. So it's, it's extremely challenging and I absolutely love it. But yes, there are some videos out there where I'm crying. I do a lot of crying. I cry a lot. <laughs> so I'm out there crying like, ah, you know, sometimes it's crying of frustration, but most of the time it's actually crying of gratitude and just bliss of all those beautiful moments that you experience out there. And then the respect, the massive respect I have for, you know, the people who came before the sailors of today, you know, the, mm -hmm. the Portuguese guys who went out there and discovered the world, the Spanish sailors, the Vikings, the Chinese, the Egyptians. I mean, the people who crossed the oceans yeah. without technology centuries ago, who are those people? I mean, what level of courage, commitment, guts, it's on another level. I deeply <laughs> admire them. You know, we're right now in the 500th anniversary that Portuguese Magellan, Fernão uh, Magalhães, Magellan sailed around the world in the first expedition planet Earth. And he left in 1519, coming back in 1522. Sadly, he didn't make it back because he was killed in the Philippines in battle. But the expedition was finished by the Spanish. Um, and it was a funded uh, expedition uh, funded by the Spanish as well. So they completed the mission. And today the world recognizes it as, as Magellan being the first um, to, to do this. Yeah. He had to command five ships, nearly 200 men, doing something that had never been done before. They had no radio communication, no satellite communication, no GPS. They didn't know where they were going. Everything was uncharted territory once they were south of Brazil. And somehow they found a way through. And that's an incredible level of determination, vision, commitment, sticking to the plan, 
leadership. It's beautiful. Yeah. And, I, and I, I'm, I am very inspired by how Portugal did what Portugal did 500 years ago. And so when I'm out there and things are hurting a little bit, I easily remember that it can't be hurt those guys. Yeah. Because they really had it tough. I got two satellite phones, three GPSs. I got a laptop that shows me exactly where I am, overlaid with meteorology maps. I'm fine. I, I'm in the luxury hotel, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you just mentioned something that remind, remind me the first, that when I was, I, I told this story a few years ago, the first um, thing that really kind of put me thinking about your story, uh, you, you, you told this story about when you went, uh, to was to Dakar was doing the, the first Dakar or something in Lisbon that you you mm -hmm. kind of forgot to slip and you started <laughs> yeah. having like uh, hallucinations and stuff like that uh, and this mm -hmm. is when you started developing this um, I would tell him an absolutely insane mechanism of sleeping 10 15 20 minutes an hour um, <laughs> and the reason I want to talk about it is, you know, sometimes as in Portugal, Portuguese, we have a lot of these things. Um, and just for the record, just the Portuguese people can complain about Portuguese people. Um, but we have a lot of this. We complain a lot, a lot of stuff and things like we try to make things more often quite dark. Uh, and this doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that they are not, but we are sometimes too dark. Um, but when, when, I heard, when I heard that story and I was thinking about some of the challenges I have in my job. Um, and some, I still use it sometimes to talk to my teams to say, look, you know, and you, you now mentioned about the 500 years ago, but I, I, I did not go so far. And I said, I, there is a guy in Portugal that sleeps 10 to 15 minutes an hour over a period of long time. Man, if that guy can do that, we can also go through this <laughs> yeah. safely. How do you do that? And this is really a personal curiosity. It has nothing to do with the greatness of the, it's how do you physically do that? Well, you know, I think anybody can achieve it. I don't think there's anything particularly special in my DNA and the way that I'm built. But I actually started developing this very, very early. So as a university student, well, let's rewind even more. So I remember being 12, 13, Every night before bed, I would just lay on the bed looking at the digital clock radio. Now, it doesn't show seconds. It, shows how, it, just, it just shows hours and minutes, okay? So I don't know how many seconds are about to go before it switches to the next minute. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is I would wait, and as soon as it would flip one minute, I would, I would really inhale, and I would hold my breath, as long as possible. Now, it quickly became very easy to hold my breath until the digital clock turned another minute. But then my only point of reference is the next minute. So I know I've held my breath for one minute, but then I couldn't hold it for two, but I didn't know how long I'd held it for because I couldn't see the seconds. Mm -hmm. So the challenge went from one to two, that's a big jump. And then <laughs> it went from two to three, that took months. I was doing this at the age of 12, knew that one day, this was going to be useful as a surfer, as a sailor, as somebody who spends a lot of time in the ocean. So that same level of discipline, and I did this every single night for years. And today I can anywhere just easily hold my breath for two minutes easily. And if, I've, if I'm allowed some time to prepare and you know, meditate a little bit, I can go to like three and a half minutes. It's not a problem. 
because I did it for years. And I started doing the same with sleeping. In university, everybody was focused on alcohol, sex, sex, and alcohol, and maybe a little bit of learning in between in <laughs> university, okay? That was a typical day of a university student. <laughs> At least they were trying. They had access to the alcohol. I don't know how successful they were with the sex because everyone just always seemed so drunk, you know? And I was like, no, this is not, I'm, I'm focused. I, I quickly got into a beautiful relationship with a Greek girl, and you know, we were together for a while, and my, my room, in university was like a production line. I had a computer, this was 1996. I had a cell phone, not even the teachers had a phone. I had a printer and I was writing hundreds of letters to potential sponsors and business partners to really build my projects and stuff. So I couldn't sleep when everybody else was sleeping because I was finishing my university day I would then cycle for an hour to do my job learning about boat building mechanics, how to build sails for boats, because a sailing boat has a sail, the wind interacts with that sail, that's why it moves. So I thought it would be a good idea to learn how all that works, know how to repair a sail, how to fix a sail, how to build a sail. So all my part-time jobs were deeply connected with what I was trying to achieve. And then I would come home, and I still do it today, I call it my third day. If I ever write a business book, it's going to have a chapter called Third Day. Now, third day is you have your nine-to-five job, whatever it may be. You have your side hustle, which is what are you doing at the same time as your real job, but you're developing a parallel business. Maybe you're selling cookies door-to-door. Maybe you're bringing fresh vegetables to your neighbors. It doesn't matter. It's your side hustle. And then there's your third day, which is whatever you do after you've done both of those. And I had my university, I had my jobs, and then I had my third day. And my third day was writing letters to achieve what I've now achieved, what I started achieving because of hard work, deep focus, commitment, and determination. So I had to teach myself how to not sleep and how to sleep at the right time to get the most out of my my body clock and, and how my body works. So I know when to sleep 15 minutes, and those 15 will probably be worth an hour. You know, I've learned how to do that. So when I'm on the ocean, it's a matter of safety and survival. Because if I sleep for two hours, I might hit something. I might be hit by a ship or something. Mm -hmm. So if this was 500 years ago, slow boat, no shipping containers, no cruise ships out there, nothing, I would sleep all night long. But -hmm. because this is 2020 and we are surrounded by ships and we are surrounded by trash on the oceans, and the boats are getting faster and my boat's quite fast you know the less i sleep the safer i am but what i do it's like a piggy bank i put little coins in this piggy bank and it ends up becoming quite full and these little coins of sleep these little moments 10 minutes here 15 minutes there it gives me about four hours every 24 hours and that is enough for me to get by even on land i'll be quite happy with five hours a a night Um, i don't need much more than that so Okay. Um, it's just a matter of really being driven. Sleep actually becomes a bit of a hassle because you just don't, you just want to keep going. I'm not obsessed. I'm not like a workaholic. I just love what I do and I want to just keep doing it. And sleep is one of those things that I wish I didn't need to sleep because for me, I would just keep going. So when you look at guys like Elon Musk that, you know, build Tesla and SpaceX and SolarCity and, and people are thinking, how does he do that? How does he do all those things? 
I think I understand because obviously the scale and genius of Elon is, is uh, you know, incomparable to, to most humans because he's really on another level. But when it comes to the fact that he doesn't need much sleep because he's so driven by what he's working on, I think I understand that frequency and that energy. And I recognize it in some wonderful people I have in my life who um, over the years have also followed in their passion and their dreams. And, you know, they are able to stay motivated um, and not need much sleep because they're so focused and driven by what they're doing. So there's no magic formula other than I'm just following my heart and doing everything I can to achieve what my heart tells me to do. You know, but um, probably at this point in time, people are asking, what is the path of the conversation I'm trying to take? And the reason I'm asking you these questions um, is because I want people to understand what, what is driving you, right? Because that is what, dri what, what brings me to the next level of conversation. That is the work you are doing these days with people. Uh, um, and I say with people because I'm not, I'm not specifically talking about a, a, the, the specific business or the communication or the, the, the speaking. I'm talking about the work you do with people. Uh, you work with people, you work for people, you help people. Um, and everything I asked you before, helps to understand what is driving you and, and what is your, what is, where is your, your heart, right? But I want to know a little bit more, what is the work you are doing these days with all these people? I, I, I follow you on Instagram. I see that you, you bring people in, you, you, you show examples of people you're working with, you share the, 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 the people you, you, you do projects. So it's not about Ricardo, it's about the entire thing that you are working with. Tell us a little bit about, about it and, and, and what is the behind that? 